It is a sight that only a handful of people have been privileged to see. The sight of planet Earth from outer space. We have all seen the photos of this planet we call home as experienced by astronauts who have spent time out there beyond the biosphere, making trips to the moon and back, circling the globe for days, weeks, and months on end. In the midst of their many tasks, they have found time to meditate on what they've seen, and their words are as striking as the images of the planet itself. From Alexei Leonov, a Russian cosmonaut, the Earth was small, light blue, and so touchingly alone, our home which must be defended like a holy relic. The Earth was absolutely round, I believe I never knew what the word round meant until I saw Earth from space. From James Irwin, Apollo astronaut. As we got further and further away, it, the Earth, diminished in size. Finally, it shrank to the size of a marble, the most beautiful you can imagine. That beautiful, warm, living object looked so fragile so delicate that if you touched it with a finger, it will crumble and fall apart. Seeing that has to change a man. From Edgar Mitchell, Apollo astronaut, suddenly from behind the rim of the moon in long slow motion moments of immense majesty, there emerges a sparkling blue and white jewel a light, delicate, sky-blue sphere laced with slowly swirling veils of white, rising gradually like a small pearl in a thick sea of black mystery. It takes more than a moment to fully realize this is Earth, home. From Frank Borman, commander of Apollo 8, the view of the Earth from the moon fascinated me a small disk 240,000 miles away. Raging nationalistic interests, famines, wars, pestilence don't show from that distance. And from Yang Liwei, China's first astronaut, the scenery was very beautiful, but I did not see the Great Wall. <laughs> ah. <laughs> the walls. As we imagine ourselves in the vast spaciousness of the universe, gazing at our home, then begin telescoping in closer and closer, we see them. The borders, the fences, the walls that separate and divide. The spaciousness and openness disappear becoming broken, jagged, crunched up and rough, tiny and awkward. It seems as if the whole world is building walls. The United States is building barriers among its southern borders to prevent illegal immigrants from entering. The Israelis continue to build a wall to separate themselves from the Palestinians. Other territories are protected by invisible walls, demilitarized zones, to keep enemies out.
Moving into the cities, we can see walls that keep people in and keep people out. Gated communities to keep people out if you can afford to live there. Walls topped with barbed wire and searchlights to keep people in, safely away from society in general, a double layer of protection. Walls that are mostly built by people who have the power, money, and social status to do crowd control, keeping people out, keeping people in, keeping people in their place. Again, these are only the physical walls built with brick and mortar, concrete, and wrought iron. They are signs and symbols of invisible walls created by fear, trauma, greed, and pride of all sorts, national, ethnic, cultural, tribal, racial, religious, and spiritual pride, the walls of hostility that shrink our planet and diminish its spaciousness and our own freedom wherever we live. Enter Jesus. The writer of Ephesians tells us that Jesus breaks down the walls that divide us. I brought a picture to share with you this evening, a modern day icon painted by Robert Lenz. You may not be able to see it from where you are, but I'll leave it on the chair this evening so you can take a closer look when you're leaving if you'd like. On the cover we see Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, gazing at us through the strands of a barbed wire fence. This is a wounded Jesus, you can see the bloody scar on one hand where a nail has been recently. But he is alive, very much alive. The barbed wire fence intrigues me. Which side of the barrier is Jesus on? And which side are we on as we receive his calm and intense gaze? Are we trapped on the inside with Jesus on the outside, opening the strands to help us get out? Or is Jesus on the inside of the barrier, standing in solidarity with the many people who are imprisoned, trapped, kept in their so-called proper place where they belong? Could be both. Jesus was no stranger to walls during his physical time on planet Earth. Jesus healed outside the walls, preached outside the walls, and died outside the walls. I don't think he liked walls very much, although he was known to cross back and forth across the walls that were in his way when needed. Most of his teachings seemed to be out in the open spaces, on mountains and plains, by lakes and rivers, out in the countryside where people flocked to hear him and be healed. But he crossed national and religious boundaries with impunity as well, preaching in the lands of the Gentiles, teaching within the walls of the synagogues. He got thrown out of one at least once 
and challenging the religious powers that be of his own people within the temple walls, arguing with the scholars and even turning over some tables. And when he died, it would be on a cross outside the walls of the holy city of Jerusalem, outside the walls of the temple, outside the room in the temple called the most holy place, the holy of holies, where only the high priest could visit. The holy of holies was hidden behind a curtain and was the most sacred place in the world. For here was God's throne, the Ark of the Covenant. But, the Gospels say, as Jesus drew his last breath and his spirit left his body, the curtain that hid the most holy place was ripped in two, thoroughly destroyed from top to bottom, and it was then that the walls began to come tumbling down and have been ever since. It was like a stone dropped into a body of water with the ripples spreading out further and further with no end in sight. This may be a story that you know well. This may be a story that you have not heard in a while. Or this story may be completely new to you. I share it with you because sometimes it seems as if the walls that exist today may never come down. The situation can become overwhelming and sometimes it may feel hopeless. But God has begun toppling the contentious walls that divide us. Walls are falling already. The healing and reconciliation of this broken, divided planet will not stop until God's entire creation is spacious, peaceful, and whole again. If it happens in one place, and it is in many places, it can happen in another, and another, and another, and another. The walls are tumbling down, and we have a choice. We can choose to be wall builders and hide behind them. Or we can choose to be boundary crossers, building bridges over those walls and crossing them over and over again until we wear them down to the ground. One place it's happening is right here at Richmond Hill. The fact that all of us are sitting together worshiping this evening is witness to this. We will go on to share a meal, first at the communion table and then in the refectory. Another hopeful wall dismantling effort is being made through the national organization coming to the table. You may have seen the article on the front page of the Richmond Times-Dispatch last week about this group. Founded in 2006 at Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg by co-founder Will Hairston, Coming to the Table's focus is bringing together white and black people to build relationships with one another and have discussions about race and slavery, discussions that can be personal and contentious. These discussions most often happen over a meal. 
At this point, the organization has more than 30 chapters in 11 states. Will Hairston is a descendant of one of America's largest slave-owning families. He says that his family's legacy isn't something he can separate himself from. It's hard to ignore that legacy and brush it aside when you're one of the largest slave-owning families, he said. I thought, well, I inherited this legacy. I felt like I'd like to leave my kids with a different legacy. Danita Green and Martha Rollins are two residents of Richmond who are co-CEOs of the Richmond chapter of Coming to the Table. Danita is an African-American author and activist from Richmond. Martha is white, a retired antiques dealer and community activist who grew up in Martinsville on what was a former plantation. Her grandmother was a leader in the United Daughters of the Confederacy. These two close friends met an awards ceremony in 2009. They, along with other members, convened in Jamestown this past weekend to celebrate the launch of a new chapter of Coming to the Table for the Historic Triangle. Attend events in historic Jamestown, recognizing the first African Americans in Jamestown, and attending a worship service on Sunday. Laura Hill, the leader of the new chapter, is a descendant of enslaved Africans from St. Mary's County, Maryland. She co coordinated this weekend's gathering of national coming to the table chapters, which included members from Colorado, North Carolina, and New York City, as well as members from Maryland and Virginia. She says, in January, Ralph Northam declared 2019 the year of reconciliation and civility, and I started looking for racial reconciliation organizations. Besides having an honest dialogue, she said, her group wants to work on such issues as reducing racial disparities in school discipline. Says Hill, we are focused on the meetings on racial reconciliation and healing and having open, honest dialogue, but we are also focused on repairing what's broken in our communities. Boundaries are being crossed. Bridges are being built. Walls are coming down. And what will you do? Granted, the challenges are great, there are many walls still in place, and some in our country who will continue to build more walls if allowed to do so. But the stone has been dropped in the water. The ripples of reconciliation continue to spread outward, and to mix metaphors, the rocket has been launched into a more open, expansive, inclusive, and wholesome space. From that space of healing and wholeness, we can see God's creation and our home, planet Earth, in all of its original beauty and glory. Can you see it? I can. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, spoken thousands of years ago, 
The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. May it be so. Amen.